Hey, welcome to night school. And uh, there's this idea of compassion out there, and you hear that word. And the way that I've always interpreted compassion, the way that I feel that I hear it used more often than not, is as a synonym for sympathy. And I don't know how much of that is my own misinterpretation, because sometimes you misinterpret an idea early on when you're first introduced to it, and that changes your entire framework for that idea. And every time someone uses it, you think they're using it in that way, but it turns out they're not. You just misinterpreted it early on, and your entire, everything that is built up after you initially hear that concept, the entire concept itself as you understand it, is based on that initial misinterpretation, is what I'm getting at. Uh, so it might not be that other people are actually using it that way. You know, it might not be that other people are using compassion as a synonym for sympathy. But I think they do use it that way. I think the way our society understands compassion as is as this more reactive, responsive idea, where it's Someone is in crisis, someone is going through a hard time, someone's in a bad situation, so you should have some compassion for them. It's very subjective. It's this subjective compassion. And I don't think that's wrong, because I think the larger idea of compassion can include sympathy, and it does include sympathy. It's a general you know, state of goodwill, and you know, wanting people to feel okay at the very least, and more than that, to feel good, for people to realize the potential of positive, grounded feeling while they're walking the earth. I mean, that is, you know, a way of understanding compassion, is wanting them to meet the highest potential in any given moment that, that they can meet when it comes to a sense of belonging here, you know, belonging here in a way that feels okay and possibly even great. Uh, but we tend to think of it, you know, in a subjective way, where it's more of a response to a situation or something going on with a person or group of people. We tend to think of compassion that way. And compassion includes that, but it isn't wholly that. Compassion isn't wholly made up of that sort of responsive, reactive sympathy. And my whole life, I've basically thought that's what it is. And more recently, I've started to understand it as something else, something more objective. Uh, you know, the, the wider approach of compassion and the way it's used philosophically because uh, it's a word that's very common. You'll come across it, you know, reading books. You'll come across it reading books, and, and it's... Uh, you have to wrap your, your mind around it, though, if you had either... Not necessarily a misinterpreted version of it in your brain. It's not that I necessarily misinterpreted compassion. I think I only saw one little sliver of it, and I thought that's what the whole of it was. I basically thought it was a synonym for sympathy. And the best way I think I could explain my understanding of compassion and my own approach, because my understanding of compassion is my approach to it, is if you're going to a casino and playing the slot machines, it's going there and thinking, I hope everybody wins. 
And logic tells you that's ridiculous. Not everybody's going to win, so why do you why would you hold on to that hope? It's not possible for everybody to win the jackpot, you know. So so why would you hold on to the hope that everybody's going to win when it's not realistic? Well, who's to say it's not realistic? You know, not everybody will win the jackpot at the exact same time. But the possibility is there for anybody who walks in and sits down at a slot machine to win the jackpot at any given time. And probability tells you that most people won't. Maybe nobody there will win at that time that you are there. But it's possible. And so because it's possible for anybody to win at any given time, it's entirely logical for you to want everybody to win. And that also includes you. Because if you want everybody to win, you have to be a participant in that. And that's why the cornerstone of compassion is having compassion for yourself. And if you can't have compassion for yourself, you're going to have a much more difficult time having it for other people. And when people go to the casino, they think, I want to win. Nobody goes and thinks, I hope someone wins. Because that might be a better way of thinking about it is, you know, rather than saying, I hope everybody wins, which seems to imply you want everybody to win at that exact moment. You want everybody to get the same exact result at that exact moment. When you really think about the phrase, it doesn't necessarily have to be that. But I feel like I'm getting into some weird... I don't know. I feel like it's distracting to to phrase it that way. So a better way might be, I hope someone wins. And that someone could be anybody. And if that someone is anybody, that is everybody. So if you just want somebody to win, you know, and that somebody is anybody and that becomes everybody, you are included in that as well. But the way that we think about it is, I'm going to the casino, I want to win the jackpot. I want to win. And if you don't win, that means that you lose. The The stakes of the entire game are based on you as an individual winning or losing. And if somebody else wins, you think, I wish that was me. I wish that was me. I wish that was me over there. And you don't know what that person put in. That's the other thing. You see somebody else win the jackpot at the casino, and you don't know if they already spent their entire life savings. And this is like a, a, a pencil shaving they're getting back in return. You know, they might have they ground down their whole colored pencil in the pencil sharpener already, and they got a pencil shaving back in the form of a jackpot. And you don't even know. You just think, oh, they won the jackpot. But you don't know they already lost everything else they already had. So all they got was a pencil shaving back. You don't know that. you know. So you don't really know what happens when you think somebody else won. You just think, I wish that was me. I wish that was me. And you go to the casino thinking that way. You go, I'm going to go to the slot machine and I hope I win. And there's nothing wrong with that because that's the foundation of compassion. It'd be pretty fucked up if you go to the casino and you think, I'm going to the casino, I hope I lose. Although that's a part of gambling addiction. I remember reading in a a mafia book, a guy was talking about his boss being a huge gambler. and And he said, you know, I think that he enjoys losing more 
because he never brags about his winnings. You know, come Monday, if he lost, you know, a million dollars betting football games, he comes to the club and he and he brags about it. He's like, I lost a million. I was this close to win. And I lost, you know, I, I lost hundreds of thousands of dollars yesterday. And he goes on and on about it. But if he wins, he doesn't seem too excited. And I think that's a real phenomenon with gambling and specifically gambling addiction. I think that there is this desire to lose it becomes more of a story. It it gives somebody something to talk about. Uh, whereas winning is just like, well, now I have more money to lose in the future. I have a bigger colored pencil to stick in the sharpener. And maybe I'll get a shaving back. Uh, so I think that is part of the mindset. I think there are people who do go to the casino and subconsciously think, I hope I lose. And if you go all the time, I mean, that's the thing I've noticed. I've been to a casino about four times, I think, in my life now. And I'm disturbed by how casual certain people are because I'm astonished. You know, I look around and I'm astonished by the whole experience. And I, I know I talked about that in an episode. Uh, but, you know, I'm I'm just sincerely astonished, bewildered, and excited, and not excited to gamble, because, I mean, I bet such small amounts of money. I, I am excited to go to the slot machine when I do it, to bet a dollar or whatever, or see what I get. I am excited to do that, but I'm more just excited by the whole experience, and just the absurd, you know, phenomenon that is a casino, and the names of the machines, the names of the slot machines, the colors, the artwork, the whole thing, the whole thing is, is just, a, it just, I'm astonished by it. And I get a little disturbed, though. The only, the only thing that, I guess it's astonishing in its own way, but the only thing that I feel like is, is a little bit weird is, you know, the people who just seem a little too casual. They don't seem very astonished or excited to be spending money to get more money and they don't seem to care about which machine they sit down at they just kind of are go they're like just going through the motions of it and it's very casual and maybe that's just because they've been there so many times but i have to wonder what their mindset is i don't think they go to the casino and think i hope everybody wins cuz i think that's what makes me astonished when i go there as i think all these people trying to win money. I hope somebody wins. I hope somebody's winning right now. Uh, that's the mindset I try to take. And that could be me. You shouldn't sacrifice yourself. You shouldn't be like, I hope I don't win so that somebody else wins. Compassion starts with you having compassion for yourself. And compassion for yourself is wanting yourself to win at the slot machine if you're going to play it. You know, that's a part of the whole process. If you want everybody to win, if you want somebody to win, you've got to be that somebody, and you are certainly part of that everybody. And so that's a, a good way of framing it. And if you are somebody who goes to a casino and thinks, you know, I hope I don't win, somewhere deep down, if you're thinking, I hope I don't win, well, you got to start there. You got to start with thinking, well, I hope I do win. I hope I do win. And you got to, from there, you can go to, I hope somebody wins. And from there, you go to, I hope everybody wins. And 
saying I hope everybody wins, there's this idea that you just mean that time and place right then and nothing more. And I think you should approach that, and let's get away from the casino. Let's stroll out of the casino before we end up with just a pencil shaving in our pocket uh, and just go back to the general idea of the philosophical idea of compassion. And I think compassion doesn't have a certain time frame. Compassion is the understanding that we are all standing on this needle point at the same exact time. And I like to talk about the degrees of relationships we have to each other. And if nothing else, you can have compassion for everybody who is currently alive by, by thinking we're all standing on this needle point at the same exact time, this needle point that is our lifespan, that is our time on Earth, and we think it's everything. But really, it's this needle point of time that we are all standing on, and we are tiny too. It's not that we are huge. It feels that way. And sometimes it feels like you're a, a big fucking clown or an elephant. Uh, I, try not to th- I, I try not to think in terms of circus stuff. Uh, but uh, I, I try not to think in terms of circus stuff. Uh, but, you know, that's what it kind of comes to mind when I think of like a, a giant person or creature trying to balance on a needle. But, you know, we tend to feel like that's what's going on. We, we tend to feel like we're this giant person who's just doing some sort of balancing act on a needle. And if it feels that way, that's kind of what it is in that moment. But really, we're all, you know, a bunch of people, tons of people on this needle point. And we think that's, you know, everything. And science is sitting there, scientists and, and science are sitting there and they're like, well, the needle point is everything. The whole of existence is is the needle point, and let's examine it further. Let's see what's inside the needle point. Let's define the world by splitting this needle point into smaller and smaller needles. And it turns out, when you split that needle into smaller and smaller needles, you find that each one has a ton of things balancing on it. You know, and I know that this itself is a very scientific statement. You know, uh, once you split the needle into a bunch of smaller needles, you find that just as many things are balancing on each of those small needles as we're balancing on the bigger needle. It's sort of how it works, though. It's why it's all these processes mirror each other. Um, but, you know, you have this scientific mindset that tends to focus on, well, like, what's what's inside the needle? What is the needle? How can we how can we test this needle? How can we define this needle? This is how the needle works. And the problem with that isn't... There there is no problem with that. It's interesting. And while we are balancing on this needle, it's helpful. It helps us balance on the needle. Science helps us balance on this needle. But it, it tends to ignore everything that is going on outside the needle because we can't comprehend it because our entire life is based around what's going on on this needle. But you get glimpses of something else. You do get glimpses of something else where you someone falls off the needle and we know that everybody does it. 
We know that everybody dies. We know that falling off the needle is that thing we call death. And when it happens, you know, somebody comes to you with a bunch of paperwork. And that really highlights the absurdity. When someone you know dies and you're doing paperwork related to it or you're going through documents and they're important. While you're on the needle, those important documents, you know, are crucial. You know, uh... But when someone's gone, you know, it's it's very absurd. There's this absurdity to, like, going through their paperwork or getting presented with new paperwork and everybody treating it very seriously. Meanwhile, that person is gone and you see their name written down and you see you have to sign things. You have to think about these things. And it's just like, okay, we've created an, an interesting... <laughs> We've created created an interesting world around this, and it's not that this isn't important while we're here, but it really does remind you that we are on this tiny little point, and that is for a very short amount of time. It really is just a blip. And, you know, all these other things we, we have that we think reinforce that existence. We, we think all of this paperwork, all of this documentation, you know, your ID. You got to prove that you are who you say you are while you're balancing on this needlepoint by showing me your ID. You know, it's absurd. And you have to remind yourself of that. And some people see that absurdity as a gateway to nihilism. And they think, well... Because all of this stuff doesn't really matter, and there is this this whole world around the needle that I can't necessarily see, and we can only theorize what it is. And to go back to the idea of death, you know, our concept of, like, someone falling off the needle. Oh, they fell off the needle. I gotta tell everybody. I gotta tell everybody, you know, that this person is no longer standing on the needle with all of us. And then you wonder, like, where'd they go? If they're not on the needle, where are they? And so we tend to define the afterlife based on our understanding of the needle, you know, where it's like, oh, they fell off the needle. Well, maybe they're just inside the needle. Maybe they're just above it. Maybe they're here or there, and we really don't have what it takes. You know, maybe they're circling. Maybe their soul is circling the needle until it manifests as somebody else who's standing on the needle. And maybe... You know, these are all valid ideas that have been repeated over and over again over time, and and they are worth thinking about. They're part of the conversation. I mean, I think that's what's missing from so much is this need to be logical or right and wrong or this or that. And it's like, let's just let it all be part of the conversation. And if the conversation flows there, if the conversation leans that way, let's go there. Let's not try to say that that's it. Let's not try to say that that's right or wrong, but it's part of the conversation. And if you've ever done any research, you'll find that that's common, where you'll come across different accounts of an event. And you'll think, well, one of these accounts of the event has to be right or wrong. And sometimes they are. You know, sometimes something really is a distorted interpretation of something that happened. And maybe there are a bunch of other accounts that are similar, and those accounts together you know, con- uh, conflict with that one account that is just completely out of left field. You don't know. Um, 
but the way I see it, when you find a bunch of different events, even if they're conflict, a bunch of different interpretations of events, even if they're conflicting, you say they're all part of the conversation, and you qualify it by saying so and so gave this interpretation, and you're not saying. I agree or I disagree, you're simply including it in the conversation. And that's, it's important to be able to do that. It's important to be able to include everything in the conversation. And by doing that, you can more easily identify what's truly a misinterpretation. You know, because if you include everything into the conversation, you'll tend to see the overall pattern where it's like there's more accounts that fit this interpretation whereas there's only one that fits this interpretation, and maybe the person who gave that interpretation had an agenda, or maybe they just aren't reliable. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, But it's all part of the conversation. Uh, But the conversation, as far as this life on the needle, life on the needle, it's all based around... You know, our, uh, our perspective being here on the needle. You know, it's all based around this idea that this is what we know. And I love Alan Watts's idea of asking somebody to rearrange the universe. Somebody, especially somebody who is complaining about the universe, who's complaining about the way life works. And if you were to ask them to, re, to redo the universe, not to rearrange it, but to redo it, they would basically create exactly what we have because that's all they understand. And we have this idea that like, oh, because in a fiction book, humans have wings. Because in this story, humans have wings. It's, oh, it's a totally different universe. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This totally defies our understanding of uh, the human anatomy. It's totally different. Meanwhile, it's like they took this thing that we know called wings that a bunch of creatures have and they put them on us. And now that creature does what these other creatures do, and we think it's this completely out-of-this-world story. Meanwhile, it's totally in this world. And that's a a phrase that I need to use more often. When people are like, that's out of this world, they're like, that's in this world, because it all is. And another way of saying that would be, it's all standing on this fucking needle point. That's what that is. When, When someone says, you know... (laughs) <laughs> when I say uh, it's in this world, what I mean is it's it comes from our perspective of standing on this needle point and everything is contextualized, contextualized within that. How's that for how's that for being pretentious? You know, it's all contextualized within our understanding as little blips standing on a needle point. It's true, though. You know, and and we, so much of our fiction, so much of our creativity is just rearranging and mixing and matching. I had this book as a kid, and uh, it was a bunch of weird faces. It was like a pirate, some like ugly old woman, all kinds of faces, some weird guy with like a bee on his nose, and the faces were... Each, each page was a face, and each page was cut into these little strips so that you could flip just the eyes or just the nose or mouth or neck 
And that way you could mix and match the different faces in this book to create weird faces. And they were drawn in such a way that you could, they would align. And it would be like, oh, he's got like the old woman's mouth and he's got the old man's eyes and he's got like the nose with the B on it and the bald head. And then you could like flip the page and oh, now he's got a mohawk. I don't remember if there was a mohawk, but it was just that kind of thing where it's just a mixing and matching game. And so much of our creativity is that. And I do believe there is true creativity. There are ideas that do seem to come out of nowhere. Who People who aren't just hybridizing and mixing and matching things that already exist. It's rare, but it does happen. And I believe that's what you would call iconoclasm. You know, when somebody is truly an iconoclast. And what's interesting is that Real iconoclasts very rarely take full credit for their ideas. They do feel like conduits. They do feel like something is coming out of nowhere. And sometimes we think that's humility, where it's like, oh, they're, they're just being humble. They're thanking God. Oh, they're playing that game where they're just a conduit and things are just flowing through them. But that is how it seems to work, and there's enough people who give accounts like that to where that's, that's my understanding of it. It is coming from somewhere that we can't comp- comprehend. It's coming from outside of the needle, maybe. I, I believe there are things that come to us from outside of the needle. Otherwise, how would we have all the things we have? How would you know? How would we have these spiritual ideas if there wasn't something creeping in from outside the needle, and we can't see it? We can barely, you know, we can barely understand the tiny glimpses that we get, but there tends to be a pattern there. When people do get a glimpse of whatever is going on outside of the needle, it does seem like there are certain themes or parallels between those ideas spanning time. And we're once again back to the idea of spanning time. And I I should get back to compassion because, you know, this needle tangent. I was on this needle tangent, completely forgetting about compassion. And, uh, you know, with the idea of compassion, it spans time. You can't think of compassion as, I want everything, you know, I want all of the good has to happen right in this moment, otherwise there's no true good. Because I think that's what gets people caught up, and it's why people make themselves miserable, is they think all of the good has to happen right in this exact moment, and I have to be aware of it. Otherwise, there is no true objective good in the world, and I'm going to spiral into a world of nihilism. Uh, you know, I'm going to stick the needle in my arm. You know, it's people tend to spiral out when they start thinking of things in those terms, and it, it goes hand in hand with the idea of going to the casino and thinking, well, you know, if I don't win, it, it's like it's like it's going to, like nihilism to me is going to the casino and thinking, you know, I'm not going to win and nobody's going to win yet. I'm going to keep spending my money anyway. That to me is what nihilism is. It's going there and, and thinking it's not having compassion because I don't think you can be compassionate and nihilistic at the same time. But to me, there is this sense of nihilism you can see in a casino. And when I talk about people being very casual, not being astonished by the whole bizarre phenomenon that is a casino, and not being amazed by it, 
not being excited by just the experience itself. When I talk about people being kind of casual and dead, that's nihilism to me. They want to win money, but they don't really seem uh, motivated by it. Because if you were motivated by the idea of winning money you know, by pressing a button, you'd be laughing about it. You'd be like, this is absurd, you know, but the way that people are just sitting there and they're, they're, it's weird to see and it doesn't depress me. I don't, I'm so amazed and excited and astonished by the experience of, of what goes on inside of a casino that I don't get depressed by seeing people in this state, but it is depressing. Uh, it is kind of depressing to see people doing that, and it comes across very nihilistic. If you're being casual about a casino, I, I feel like you are in some kind of nihilistic state. Uh, and you're not coming from the point of view of like, oh, I hope everybody wins. I hope I win. You know, you're not coming from that place if, if you're just sitting there. If, if it's And that's where nihilism comes in. I, I know people who have spiraled into what they think is a nihilistic state because of all the bad stuff that goes on in the world. They think that nihilism is a response to compassion in a weird way. In a weird way, they think that because they're a compassionate person and they want everybody to be happy and safe and loved and not to suffer, and because not everybody is safe, happy, and free from suffering, that therefore that compassion is wasted and it's better just to think that nothing matters and to hope for nothing. And that's not the right way to go about it. I mean, I think there's something... Compassion is enduring. And, you know, when you think about the word enduring, that implies that it spans a a period of time. And in the case of compassion, it's indefinite. You know, compassion requires endurance because it is endurance. Having compassion is very much a game of endurance. Because if you wake up, even if you wake up every morning and you do some meditation and you, you repeat some words to yourself in your head to make yourself more compassionate, which is what so many meditation practices are based on, Everything from, you know, the most esoteric meditation practices to just the really casual New Age self-help ones, you know, that are a diamond a dozen, they both are built around this idea of compassion, and in order to make that compassion endure, they recommend repeating it every morning, and I think that that's the way to go about it. I think you have to. It's not something you think once and it just stays with you. It's something you have to remind yourself of. And I think sometimes, I know the way I think, I think, oh, because I'm having to remind myself to be compassionate, that must mean that compassionate is somehow fleeting or it's uh, circumstantial or it's dependent on, you know, specific, it's conditional, you know, it's, I have this tendency to think, oh, because I have to remind myself every day to be compassionate or to think in compassionate terms, that must mean it's, it's conditional somehow. Otherwise, I wouldn't have to remind myself of it. And, you know, the more you remind yourself of it, the more that it becomes just a part of who you are, the more that you can just walk through the doors of the casino and you don't have to think, I hope everybody wins, because your very being communicates that. And that doesn't mean you're 
paying for other people's uh, rounds at the slot machine. It doesn't mean that you're giving up your own jackpot to other people. It might. You might end up doing that. But it does connect you with other people. You do feel that the outcome is shared in some way. And that doesn't mean that you're, when you win the jackpot, that you're going to be throwing dollar bills around on the casino floor. But you do feel like there is a shared outcome somehow because probability favors everybody. Even if you as an individual, you know, are just one little part, you're just one person standing on that needle point, and the probability is you're not going to win the jackpot on that day, probability does favor everybody. And so if you enter the casino with that mindset, or if you leave the casino and just go about your daily life with that mindset, let's get away from the casino. Let's get away from the casino. You know, if you just go about your day knowing that you are just standing on this needle point and it's very small and it's small because it's temporary and you recognize that you do have a relationship to everybody else who is on that needle point at the exact same time as you, that itself is a major step toward having some sort of compassionate you know, some sort of general objective compassion is simply understanding that you're in the same place that everybody else is in and probability favors everybody. And if probability favors everybody, you're no longer thinking about the statistics of it. And you probably recognize that if everybody takes the, that perspective, if everybody's able to understand that we're all standing on the needle point at the same exact time, uh, and that constitutes a relationship because there are people who fell off the needle long before you were around. And I would say you have a relationship to them too because they were there at some point in time. They may well have been standing exactly where you're standing. They may have used the same exact slot machine that you're using right now. Uh, you know, I, I can't avoid talking about the casino. I can't avoid talking about the casino. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's a relationship too, but I'm trying not to get too out there. I'm trying to talk about the people who are here right now. Just like you can start by being compassionate toward yourself, then including the people you know and wanting the best for them in that, compa- that bubble of compassion, that bubble and cauldron of compassion. Just like you can start with yourself, include the people you know, Include the people that you don't know, but who you see out and about in your neighborhood at the store. Then include all of the people who exist at the same time as you. You can eventually include everybody who's ever existed and ever will exist in your compassion cauldron that's bubbling up. And it gets big. It gets so big. And then you find out it's so big that it's, it fits on a needle point. Uh uh, even the cauldron is is big, you know. Even the cauldron fits on a needle point. It's so big that it fits on a needle point. How do you how do you figure that? But no, you can eventually include everybody who's ever existed or ever will exist, or even fictional people who don't exist at all and never will. You can even include them in your objective compassion, and you don't have to think good thoughts toward them only when they're in crisis or only when they need your sympathy. You can do it all the time with minimal effort 
and you probably do have to repeat it every morning. You probably do have to remind it, remind yourself of it every morning. And even if you don't need to do that, even if you don't need to remind yourself to be compassionate every morning, it can't hurt, and it's kind of a nice little thing to do if you just think it once. If you just think about it once in the morning at some point during your day, it'll help you a lot, and it'll and you can apply it to everything. I mean, I'm using this example of the casino, but an example that a lot of people like to use is being stuck in traffic. That idea of we're all in this together. You know, I just don't like to think about traffic, period. I don't like to use traffic as an example because I just don't want to think about being gridlocked in traffic. I'd rather think about being in the casino. Even though I use traffic as the example for every every other episode I've ever done where I use some kind of metaphor, I use traffic. So I'm full of it. He's full of it. I have some compassion. The nice thing about compassion is it allows you to recognize when someone's full of it, but you almost enjoy it. And that's actually the weird byproduct of compassion. Let's go to traffic. Let's go to traffic. Let's go to the traffic report. The funny thing about compassion is that it allows you to laugh at other people when they're mean and destructive and rude, and when they don't use their turn signal, when they're going 90 miles an hour, weaving in and out of the traffic lanes on the highway, you know, you can see that and think, oh, that's fucked up and dangerous, and I hope that guy doesn't hurt somebody, but you can laugh at it, and I've had moments like that. Once I started kind of trying to reinforce this way of thinking, it was a couple years ago, I remember watching this guy in a convertible in this little sports car, and he was weaving just through, you know, it wasn't totally gridlocked, but traffic had slowed down quite a bit, and there were little gaps between cars, and he was just, like, sliding between all the gaps in the highway, and it was just, like, so reckless and dangerous, and he was so casual about it, and in the past, that would have ruined the entire drive for me. I would have thought about that guy the whole rest of the day and been so mad at him. I would have been so mad at that guy all day, but I saw this guy and I was just, it was like a nice day and I was just thinking, holy shit, like that's fucking hilarious. That is hilarious to watch that guy do that. And of course, if I saw him like run head on into somebody, I wouldn't be laughing. I'd be really upset. Uh, I'd be on the phone to 911 and I'd be like, I saw him the whole way. I saw him the whole way. He was weaving in and out of traffic, and he was putting other people's lives at risk. I hope you arrest him. I hope you arrest him. Uh, you know, I, I'd be telling the cops how it is, what I saw, if he did something and he hit somebody or something like that. But at the same time, just in this moment, watching this guy do this, I just laughed. I had compassion for him, for how ridiculous his behavior was. And I don't even know the guy. Who knows who that guy is? Some people have this, you know, car sociopathy where they're great people. They're your friends. They're your family. They get behind the wheel, and they are the the biggest nightmare you'll ever meet. I don't know. Uh, But compassion allows you to do that. Compassion allows you to see the humor even when people are being dicks. Uh, it's, it's not just, oh, I hope all the sad people get happy. It's also just, I hope that that guy can somehow, you know, 
bring it down a few notches and not do that anymore, but you don't even have to go that far with it. You can just laugh, and, and simply laughing at that is itself some form of progress. In some way, you are winning in that moment, because compassion does allow you to win. It does allow you to win, and, you know, if you want to get really, like, woo-woo about it, you know, I do wonder what would happen if a bunch of people went to the casino with the mindset of, I hope everybody here wins today. Because you know that not everybody's thinking that. You know that next to nobody is thinking that when they go to the casino. They're thinking, I want to win. I want to win. I, and, and more than that, they're probably thinking, I don't want to lose. 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 I don't want to lose, lose, lose. I don't want to lose. That's what they're thinking. They're not even thinking about winning. They're just thinking they're doing the I, I don't want to lose chant. <laughs> they're doing the I don't want to lose chant. Don't make me do it again. Don't make me do it again. No, that's terrible. Embarrassing. Embarrassing. And when you do something embarrassing, you can have compassion for yourself. When you piss your pants when you're reading a book report, that time that you pissed your pants in front of the whole class when you were doing a book report, you can laugh. Compassion allows you to laugh at yourself and not let it ruin your life. That's what I would say to people. Compassion allows you to laugh at yourself and not ruin your life. Coming up with these like almost like rap songs, uh, which is a, a bad turn. If this show ever, if, if this show goes any further in that direction, it's over. If you show up one day, if you if you come, if you check. Uh, by the way, how are you listening to this? What's your preferred way of listening to this show? You know, it's hosted on SoundCloud. That's where the show was originally put up. But it's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Google Play. Uh, it's on Stitcher, it's on a bunch of these, it's on a bunch of these, how are you listening? But if you show up to, you know, one of these pages, if you try to listen to this podcast and you find that it's nowhere to be found, if this podcast has fallen off the needle point, it's because I just got too far into these, like, sing-alongs, these rap, uh, these rap slogans, it's, I, I just got too far in there, and I decided to pull the plug, but, uh, I decided to jump off the needle because, hey, uh, you know, you, can, you just can't take things too far. But, you know, compassion for yourself, it, it does allow you to survive embarrassment and humiliation. Because some people never get past that. You know, and I still remember things that nobody else even remembers that I'm still humiliated by that I did to myself. Things that I said. There were times where I came up with rap slogans when I was... 12 years old and I've never forgotten it and it's ruined my it's you know ruined a part of my life it's created a rut that I've never quite climbed out of no but uh uh you know that happens though where it's like sometimes you're humiliated and you never recover but compassion allows you to recover from that compassion for yourself it gives you an opportunity, and maybe that's what it really is. Compassion is simply opportunity, not necessarily outcome. And maybe that's why I'm thinking of it in terms of slot machines, because having compassion allows everybody the opportunity to win, because you are thinking about them winning. You are aware of the fact that they might win, and when it happens, you will notice 
It is having an awareness of that greater opportunity that is available to everybody. And if you're aware of that opportunity opportunity that everybody has to be okay, to be happy, if you want to go that far with it. I don't like to go that far. I don't like to say that I don't like to use happiness as the measuring stick because I think okayness is a more realistic goal. And I think a lot of people don't even feel okay. So I use okay as let's get there. Let's get to okay. And if you're able to see that everybody has the opportunity to be okay, you will start to act in a way that will reinforce that and aid that. You know, if you if you start to see an opportunity for yourself, first of all, because that's where it all starts. Everything starts with the, the opportunity that you have to be okay. And if you see that as an opportunity for yourself, you will start acting in ways that will ultimately make your life okay. While you are standing on the needle point, you might feel okay about it or better. And from okay, you can go all kinds of places. From okay, you can go everywhere. Okay is the ultimate form of currency because you can go everywhere with it. It's your entrance into the elevator. You can go up and you can go down, but you can always get back to okay. And so for me, true compassion is understanding that you have the opportunity to feel okay and knowing that everybody else has that opportunity too. And if you can make yourself feel okay, you can start taking steps to help make other people feel okay and not doing it in an unnatural way, not overstepping your bounds, not trying to change people's minds or preach to them, even though that's exactly what I'm doing right now, but you're choosing to listen. So I'm not forcing anything. I'm not forcing anything. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, you know, uh, recognizing that you have the opportunity to help other people see that opportunity, but you don't have to force it. By simply being okay yourself and communicating that in whatever way feels natural to you will actually pass that idea along to other people. Because leading by example is always the best way to do anything. Leading by example by, you know, if, if somebody else sees you win the jackpot at a slot machine, that's going to make them realize that they can win it too. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children 